when God is on your side, you don't need to be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Enable me to be very, very clear and simple. And may this be a word of a nick of time for someone who needs to know that they are loved by you and that you are on their side. May this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The same king of Syria who had sent Naaman to the king of Israel to be healed of leprosy, same king now has turned against Israel and uh, he wants to attack them and uh, he plans to invade Israel. But something keeps going wrong. Every time that a detachment of troops are sent to an area, the Israelis are already there. So they come back and try another place. And they go to this little camping place. And this would have been perfect, but Israelis are already there. By this time, the king of Syria, almost paranoid, he calls in all of his officers and said, somebody here is against me. This is treachery. This is a conspiracy. Who among you has been telling secrets to the king of Israel? They all got together and said, none of us would do that. We're totally behind you. But you don't realize that there is a prophet by the name of Elisha who tells the king what you are saying in your bedroom. Doesn't get more intimate than that and more secretive than that. And that is what Elisha could do. Oh, says the king of Syria, let's just capture Elisha. And we'll have him to ourselves. And he cannot any longer tell the king of Israel what we are doing. Well, now, the question is, whose side is God on? There's nothing more wonderful than knowing God is on your side. Said Paul, if God be for us, who can be against us? But then there's another way to put the question. I don't know how much you know about American history. Uh, our greatest president, without doubt, was Abraham Lincoln. And there was a bad era in American history, our Civil War, the North against the South. And those on the North were praying that the South would be defeated. Those in the South absolutely convinced that they should have the right uh, to say God is on our side. And they came up to President Lincoln and asked the question, is God on our side? And his reply was, I'm more worried to know whether we are on the Lord's side. Well, now that's a good question. Are we on God's side? That is, we want His will 
above all else. Jonathan Edwards taught us that the task of every generation is to discover in which direction the sovereign Redeemer is moving, then move in that direction. Well, there comes a time when you need to know God is for you. I remember years ago, it was back in 1956, that would be 62 years ago, I made a very hard decision uh, to leave my old denomination. I was brought up, as some of you know, in the Church of the Nazarene, uh, very good people. In fact, um, Dr. Mark Lloyd-Jones, when he heard that my background was Nazarene, he used to say to me <laughs> often, don't forget your Nazarene background. It's what has saved you. And I knew what he meant by that. Uh, at the same time, I'd been shown a different theology, and, and my family went berserk almost. They, how could I ever leave my old denomination? And I remember how my aunts and uncles and grandpas and grandmothers are all very worried about me. And they were turning against me for this. My grandpa McCurley spoke out, I'm for him, right or wrong. I needed that so much. And there's nothing like knowing that the one who loves you is with you. And what I want to show today is that God loved Israel, and He was on their side. Now, uh, the question is, what is the evidence that God is on your side? Is there such a thing as proof? Well, according to this passage, there just might be. The first, where is the prophetic gift? That's number one, prophetic gift. You see, in other words, someone who hears from God and someone who speaks for God. And that was Elisha, who had been given a double anointing from Elijah, and he is on Israel's side. What we see here, the proof that God was with them, with Israel, is not that they would get more soldiers, more chariots, sharper instruments, better weapons. All they needed to know is that they had one on their side with an authentic prophetic gift. Now, we're living in a time when the idea of prophecy is very popular, and a lot of people will claim to have prophetic gifts. I don't know if anybody here is like that. Won't ask for a show of hands, but uh, you run into people all the time. And I have people come up to me with a word. <laughs> uh, I've got a word for you. Uh, the Lord told me to tell you this. And I can tell you over the years, if I just had one pound for every prophetic word that I've been given, uh, I would be a wealthy man today. But I learned after a while, you know, at first you take them seriously. And then after a few days or weeks or months and nothing comes out and you get another one and you think, oh, how many more am I going to get like this? So well-meaning people, they love the Lord and they sincerely believe that they get a word. And, and you just listen and you be as polite as you possibly can. But to be 
in a situation where there really is a man of God who hears from God and who speaks for God, that was Elisha. And so the king of Syria is now going to war with the same king of Israel to whom he had sent Naaman the prophet to be healed of leprosy. You would have thought that that situation would diffuse the hostility between the nations. But you know, uh, as uh, Margaret Thatcher, I remember, said years ago, it's a funny old world. And believe it or not, friends today can become enemies tomorrow. It's also true, enemies today might become friends tomorrow. And you know, when Jesus said, love your enemies, we all know he said that. And we tend to sweep that under the carpet. But let me give you a practical reason for loving your enemies. The day may come when they become friends. The same people, the same people that were your enemies might be your friends one day. And the question is, what are they going to say about you during the time when there was hostility and anger? And it's a wonderful thing if the person who was your enemy will later say to you, you know what? During that time, you were brilliant. Thank you for being the way you were. And it's just a practical suggestion. Apart from the fact Jesus said, pray for your enemies. But it may be that your enemy could be your friend tomorrow. And by the way, when he says, pray for your enemies, he doesn't mean that you just kind of say, oh, Lord, I just commit them to you. Because you're hoping God will kill them. That's not what he meant. He means that you actually pray for them to be blessed. And if you do that, here's what will happen. When you're around them, your attitude toward them will change. And sometimes the very person who you think could never be your friend will become your friend and will be so amazed over the way you handled yourself in that difficult time. Well, how fortunate Israel was to have Elisha the prophet. And so what was needed was his word. Not more weapons, not more chariots, not more soldiers. Because what is the advantage of having a prophet like Elisha around? Well, for one thing, he's going to teach everybody a lesson. And the lesson that Elisha is going to teach Syria and Israel, no one was prepared for. You could not have predicted the outcome of this if you had a year to plan. It's an amazing story. And so the advantage of having a prophet like Elisha is that God reveals the secrets and plans of the enemy. Oh, you say, I would sure like to have a prophet around me right now. I'd like to know what so-and-so is thinking. I'd like to know what they are thinking. Well, in this case, the king of Syria, he decided to go to this particular area. But when he gets there, it's obvious someone is working against them. See, this is what happens when God is on your side. Your enemy is not able to get anywhere. 
And so when they see that there's somebody working against them, uh, their plans, their plans are revealed. And it turns out nothing is hid from God. As the psalmist put it, before there is a word on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Psalm 139, verse 4. God knows your thoughts. And before you utter a word, he already knew it. He knows the thoughts of your enemy. Before they utter a word, he already knew it. Nothing is hid from God. He is omniscient. Big word. It means he knows everything. And because he knows everything, he knows what we are thinking. He knows what the enemy is thinking. And so, becoming, uh, having the blessing of a prophet is extremely rare. So the first proof that God was on the side of Israel is that they had a prophetic gift among them. And it happened to be a real prophetic gift, the real thing. You see, we're talking now about the next proof. And that is you have prophetic guidance. It's the one thing for the gift to be there, but prophetic guidance. That means that that gift is going to be in operation and it's the proof that God was on Israel's side. Uh, Elisha would be governed by two things, Logos and Rhema. Now here are two Greek words. Uh, Logos, generally speaking, refers to the Bible, Word of God. Uh, and then there is Rhema, which mainly refers to words of knowledge, prophetic words. Now. Uh, these two words can be used interchangeably, therefore you don't want to push the distinction too far. But generally speaking, uh, the Bible is logos, and rhema is when you get a prophetic word, a word of knowledge. Well, with Elisha, it was both. First of all, he stood for the God of Israel, and all that is revealed in the Bible about God, that was Elisha. But now he's given a word of knowledge. And what God does next is almost always surprising and unpredictable. So, when the king of Syria is told about Elisha and his gift of even knowing what the king is saying in, in his bedroom, he says, let's just capture Elisha. Let's get him. And that seemed a good, be a good idea, but it was very foolish that wouldn't the king know that Elisha would be on to that as well. And he was. But never mind, he's saying, let's get him, that way he can't tell the king anything. I suppose he had another motive. He says, if we capture Elisha, you know, maybe we could get him to work for us. There is the view everybody has his price, and maybe if we're good to Elisha, we wine and dine him and give him a lot of security, maybe he will turn against Israel. I have to say, I'm sorry, but there are people like that in the world. Here's the thing about a prophetic gift. You need to know this. It's without repentance. What that means is you don't get godly enough that God has to give it to you. And the second thing is it's irrevocable. 
So if God gives you a prophetic gift, it's yours to keep. The problem is because people still have it, no matter what kind of lives they're living, never forget, King Saul, on his way to kill David, prophesied. On his way to kill David. See, the gift was functioning. So when people know that their gift is going to work, some out there are open to the highest bidder. Good news. Elisha was not like that. There's nobody that could bribe him. He wanted only the honor of God. So, the next thing we know is king of Syria decides to capture Elisha. And here's his plan. He sent horses and chariots at night. We're talking about hundreds of soldiers on horses and chariots. And they surrounded the city of Dothan. That's where Elisha happened to be. They found out where he was. So anybody waking up the next morning, they're going to see wherever they go, there are chariots, there are horses, there are soldiers. And then the servant of Elisha wakes up. And he sees them. And he panics. And he comes running to Elisha. Oh my Lord, what are we going to do? We're finished. The soldiers are all around, the chariots. Elisha says, relax. It's all okay. Because there are more with us than with them. There are more with us than with them. The question is, how did Elisha know that? Well, that was part of his rhema gift. He could see what nobody else could see in the natural. Namely, that God had sent thousands of angels all around. Elisha wasn't the slightest bit worried. And then, I'll tell you what I think he does. I think he puts his hand on his servant's shoulder and says, Now look. And suddenly, the same servant that is scared to death looked up, and behold, he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. You know the movie Chariots of Fire? This is the origin of that title. Chariots of Fire all around Elisha. Now, the reason I think it happened, this is my speculation, but when I tell you this story, maybe you will see why I said it. The reason I think he laid hands on him is because of a story I happen to know that you will not know. December 7th, 1941. This is something you would know. It's open history. The Japanese Air Force bombed Pearl Harbor in Honolulu, Hawaii. As they were bombing Pearl Harbor, Paul Kane's grandmother said to everybody in the room, we're being attacked. The Japanese are bombing Pearl Harbor and wiped out the American planes totally. She saw it in an open vision, but nobody else saw it. And so when she would lay a hand on somebody's shoulder, they could see it. As soon as she lay a hand on somebody, they could see it. I think that's what happened. It didn't need to happen that way. Maybe it would have happened anyway. But there is the gift of transference of anointing, laying on of hands. And I suspect that is what happened. 
And so now we find something going on, and there's one explanation for it. It's called angels. Angels. Who are angels? According to Hebrews 1.14, they are ministering spirits sent forth to look after those who will inherit salvation. Here's what that means. Every saved person has an angel with you. I don't mind using the phrase guardian angel. Everybody here, God is on your side and angel is with you. Steve, wherever you go, when you go back home today, the angel will go with you. Now, while I'm preaching, he might be talking to the angel next to you, your friend here, because <laughs> she's got an angel as well. And uh, in fact, if we all had eyes to see, there'll be hundreds and hundreds of angels all over this place. You have an angel. You can't see him. Good job you can't. Let me tell you why. You don't want to talk to him. God won't have that. The angel doesn't want that. Interesting thing about an angel, total perfect worshiper of God. Even John, this is an amazing story to me, John, who should have known better, on the Isle of Patmos said, I fell down to worship the angel. And the angel said, stop it. Worship God. So I want you to know the angel with you, he doesn't want you to talk to him. You talk to God. Because the angel listens to God. You need to know another thing about the angel you have resisted Lucifer, son of the morning, thousands of years ago. Are you aware of this? Before the beginning of the world, before God created the world, there was a revolt in heaven. Now, how many angels involved is speculation. Some think that the reference to one-third of the stars following, falling in um, Revelation chapter 12. That could be mirroring, in a way, the, the revolt of, of Satan. I don't know that. But picture this, that a certain number of angels resisted when Satan, when he was called Lucifer, son of the morning, was recruiting every angel he could find to turn against God. Those who resisted him are called elect angels. That's Paul's word to Timothy. So what you have with you is an elect angel. He resisted the devil only to say that the angel with you is very experienced in spiritual warfare. You should know that. And that's what's going on here. Listen to this. Ephesians 12 verse 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Your enemy is the devil. Your enemy is not the one persecuting you. Don't take persecution personally. It's not you they're upset with. They're upset with God. And understand this, in all kinds of spiritual warfare, when people turn against you, don't let the devil make you direct your venom toward them. It's a wonderful thing when you realize this. If you 
attack the person who's attacking you, then you gave in to the devil. Don't do that. So, your angel will do the fighting for you. All you have to do is talk to God. Now, speaking of spiritual warfare, there's something that uh, I think you might want to know right now. Colin Dye has been through the mill in the last 48 hours. He goes into a certain country and he is arrested. Just happened. And he is queried and, and what they put him through in a corner of an airport and not letting him out. And, and it was awful. He went 36 hours without any sleep. Your pastor in the last weekend, he finally got out and they made him leave the country and got a plane to Rome. That's where he is now, hoping to come back sometime later today. You need to pray for your pastor. Remember this, though. And Colin, if you ever watch this, they're more with you than with them. <laughs> and you probably found out that. Well, Psalm 91, verse 11. He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I know of a woman... I could give you her name, who was falling asleep in Southern California, and all of a sudden, she has a vision. She told me, she says, the ceiling opened up like a scroll, like it was a big TV set. And there was Arthur Blessed in serious, serious trouble. She was an intercessor for Arthur Blessed. And she says to her husband, get out of bed. Pray! And they all got on the knees and prayed for Arthur Blessed. They knew it was big time trouble. And she told me this. She said, I remember saying, God, send 12 big angels right now to Arthur. They go back to sleep. Weeks later, they find out that at that, that precise moment, Arthur was in Nicaragua. And bandits came up to him, 12, he counted, with their guns. And they didn't know who Arthur was, and they were going to kill him. And Arthur looked at him, and he said, these men are fixing to kill me. He said, if they're going to kill me, I'm going to have my Bible. So he turned around. He said, I don't know why they didn't kill me already. And I was reaching in to try to find my Bible. And when I found my Bible, I heard behind me, mm, 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 mm. 12 of them fell to the ground, and then Arthur turned around, and they got up and ran. <laughs> this is what God can do. You see, when God is on your side, this is what He does. And I want you to know, you're no exception. It's because you are loved. Do you realize that? You are loved. Why does God love me, you ask? Because He does. Why does God love you? Because He does. Have you ever wondered why God loved Israel? Do you know the answer? Well, He tells us in His Word. He said to Israel, I have chosen you, and not because you are great in number. In fact, you're smaller than other nations. He might have gone on to say, I've chosen you not because you're better than others, because you're not. He might have gone on to say, I've chosen you not because you're clever, because you're no cleverer than anybody else. Here's what God said. I've chosen you because I love you. 
But then you ask, well, why does God love me? It's because he does. And you become so overwhelmed. Why does he love me? Because he does. It's a song we used to sing back in Kentucky. I haven't run into anybody that knows it here. Why should he love me so? Why should he love me so? Why should my Savior to Calvary go? Why should he love me so? Because he does. But why? Because he does. And so why does God love you with an everlasting love? Because he does. Why is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Because he is. And when you're loved like that, you know that God is on your side. And so here's what happens. These bandits from Syria, soldiers, out to capture Elisha. He just prays a prayer. Elisha says, Lord, strike these people with blindness. Now, note carefully, he didn't talk to the angels. He said, Lord, you do it. Don't ever talk to an angel. God does it, and he will dispatch the angels. And he says, strike them with blindness. And he prays to the Lord. Well, they are. They're struck with blindness. Not totally blind, because they can still see, but it's kind of like when Ananias and Sapphira on their way, and Jesus came up, and they were not able to know who it was. It was withheld from them. That's the kind of blindness. And so I think it's kind of funny. When we get to heaven, we want a DVD of this. Elisha goes out and says, uh, come with me. I'll take you where you want to go. And imagine this, these people that come to capture Elisha find out Elijah, Elisha captures them and says, follow me. And so here they all are. They don't know where they're going. Hundreds of soldiers and chariots and horses, they're following Elisha. And then after they get inside of Samaria, the last place they wanted to be, Elisha says, Lord, open their eyes. And they see they're in Samaria. Oh, this is the worst thing that could happen to us. And now, of course, the king of Israel, he's so happy. He says, oh, my father. Interesting, he calls him my father. The king of Israel had been very rude to Elisha, but now he needs him. He says, my father, shall I kill him? And here is the interesting thing. The third thing that we see, how to know God is with you, prophetic gift prophetic guidance. Are you ready for this? No one was ready for this. Prophetic graciousness. So shall I kill him? No, 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 don't kill him. You see, this was an opportunity for Israel to wipe them out. This would have been so easy because all they had to do was kill them. They couldn't defend themselves. Elisha had a better idea. He said, don't kill them. Treat them as if you would have captured them. 
and said, be better, do better than that. Be gracious to them. Wine and dine them. <laughs> Never in military history had ever anything happened like that. When now the enemy, they're treated at a banquet and they're eating. And finally, they said, okay, you can go back to Syria and without shedding one drop of blood, everybody got what they wanted and we're told that the bands from Syria stopped raiding Israel's territory. It worked. No one would have come up with that. It's amazing what happens when we come to the place we show graciousness to our enemy. Have you any idea what God may have in mind for you? If instead of saying, gotcha, or you're waiting for the moment that you can say to that person who's out to get you, that person who wants to ruin your reputation, that person who's been everything but a friend, and you want to see them punished, and you want to say, gotcha, try graciousness. You see, that's exactly what happened with Moses. Here's a story you might have forgotten. Moses had a very stubborn people that were to follow him. They complained, they argued. It was awful to, to be a leader of men like that. Well, one day God said to Moses, Moses, you know I've been watching you. Uh, those Israelites aren't being very nice. I tell you what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to destroy them. And then you and I start all over again with a new nation. How would you like it if God came to you and says, I know about your enemy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to destroy them. And you and I get on fine. What would you say? What would you do? I have to tell you, there have been times in my life, I think, I'm ashamed to admit this, when I've been pastor of a church I've had more than one, so don't try to figure out which time. <laughs> I can imagine if God had said, RT, it's pretty rough now. They're not being very nice to you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to destroy them. I think I would have said, thank you, Jesus. Come, <laughs> Lord, glory to God. You know what Moses said? Moses said, no, God, you can't do that. You must not do that. What will they think back in Egypt? Your honor, your glory is at stake. They're going to say back in Egypt that you weren't able to lead us to the promised land. No, forgive them. Forgive them. And God forgave them. You want to know how Moses could become the greatest leader of man in history? That's it. Gracious Spirit. You wanted to say, gotcha. You wanted to see them punished. Try this. And that's what Elisha was doing. Prophetic graciousness. Peace without shedding any blood. And it worked. Well, God is on your side. And when you're loved like that, here's the thing. You can afford to be gracious. When you are filled with the love of God and you think, I can't believe God would love me that much, it's so easy then 
Focus on His love and know what God has done for you. How many times has He spared you? How many times have you been delivered? It's just at a moment of time. You see, I think when we get to heaven, we might ask our angel. I, I expect to meet my angel when I get to heaven. And, uh, and he might say, after we've been in heaven for a few hundred years, uh, would you like to see a video replay of your life? And I'll sit next to you and, and we'll go through it together. And you see this time when you almost got killed? That was me. I was there. <laughs> you see, when you were in this situation, I was there for you. Because God does that. When he's on your side, you've got an angel. He's with you. And I want to say to you, are you facing an enemy? There are more with you than with them. Are you facing financial debt and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills? There are more with you than with them. Are you dreading the outcome of an examination? There are more with you than with them. God has your destiny in His hands. He's on your side. He knows the next step forward. Don't be afraid. You see, the God of the Bible is called 1 Thessalonians 5.23, God of peace. 120 verse 7, Psalm, I am for peace. They are for war. Try peace. Try graciousness. That was prophetic graciousness. No one have ever would have thought of that. And God has a plan for your life. All that you're going through, and you cannot imagine how you're going to come through on the other side. The proof that God is with you. In fact, this is what 1 John 4 says. We love Him because He first loved us. In fact, the Greek probably reads, we love. That means you are enabled to show graciousness because He first loved you. Don't be afraid. There are more with you than with them. Heavenly Father, take this word. Apply this word by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.